Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I am so excited for today's guest. Today, I have Meredith Harold, who is a scientist and clinician working to find realistic solutions to implement our field's best research and practice. She is also the founder and owner of the Informed SLP, a website dedicated to connecting clinicians and scientists with each other's work. I don't know about you, if you're not familiar with the Informed SLP, I highly, highly recommend it. I use it often to find research, to back up what I'm doing in my therapy room. It's like the cliff notes of research articles. I wish it existed when I was in graduate school. It will really change your life. Go check it out. But after you hear Meredith, you're going to even be more wanting to check it out. So let's get to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. All right, Meredith, welcome to SLP Coffee Talk. I'm so glad to be here and to get to chat with you. I'm so excited to be here. I always get to see you at ASHA conventions and SLP conferences and things like that. It's so nice to sit one-on-one, even though it's like via a computer screen, to like actually sit and chat and talk while SLP fun. So... (laughs) <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah, a lot of times we see each other in small groups of other people. And so it's good. it'll be good to kind of chat one-on-one for a little bit. I love it. Exactly. So in case anyone has not heard of you, don't know about you, tell everyone a little bit about your journey into the SLP world and in getting your doctorate and starting your website, all that fun stuff. Yes. Yeah. 
So I have kind of a funky backwards career and that I went from my undergraduate in speech language pathology straight into a PhD program. So as an undergrad, I had been working in research labs at our university. I was at the University of Kansas. Um, and so I essentially was at a university working in labs for over 10 years before I graduated with my PhD. So I was sort of raised in academia. Um, right after I graduated, though, rather than going on and taking like a postdoc or a faculty position, which is what most people who have their PhD would go do, I actually went and became a school-based SLP for what I thought would be a year or two. Like, oh, you know, I think I need this experience. Let's give it a whirl. And I ended up staying for over five years because I loved it. Like, I loved being a school-based SLP which was kind of not predicted for me. I didn't realize how much I would enjoy it until I was in that role and just kind of stayed there. So basically an academic turned school-based SLP at about the fifth, sixth year mark of being a school-based SLP, I started to feel like I was recognizing why it was so difficult for me and so many of my peers to stay up to date with our field's research because of the realities of what clinical practice actually looked like and how difficult it was to, you know, know the evidence when you have, you know, a caseload of 40, 60, 70 kids and you're like, how am I going to fit EBP in here, right? And so I developed the informed SLP, which kind of started small and was just me in the beginning, essentially reading the top 30 journals in our field and explaining it to people because that's what I would have wanted somebody to do for me. Over time, it's grown. So it was founded in 2016. It's 2020 now. Time flies. <laughs> <laughs> and there's actually 35 of us who now work at the Informed SLP. So it's my full-time job now, and it's a part-time job for all of the other staff members. But we have school-based SLPs on staff, med SLPs, early intervention SLPs, and then a whole bunch of scientists as well. And the thing that I really love about working at the Informed SLP is getting to spend so much time in a collaborative environment with scientists and clinicians because that doesn't exist in very many places. No, and especially since you've been in both places, uh -huh. you know the mindset of both. Yes. You can let, create an environment that blends the two together so cohesively. That's yes. That's yes. And capitalizes on expertise of both because understanding how our field's research applies to practice and identifying what bits and pieces clinicians need to know requires both scientists' expertise and clinical expertise. Like there's no way you could do it without both of those perspectives, kind of. You need someone in the trenches saying, I need evidence on this. And then someone having that mindset of a scientist being like, oh, I know where to find that. Like, yes, exactly. Exactly. So basically what the informed SLP offers members because it's a membership website is we essentially are reading all of the research in our field. All of us together are reading hundreds of papers every single month. And we're basically pulling all the bits and pieces that clinicians could immediately use and explaining them to you. So we essentially explain our field's research in the context of how it's relevant to practicing SLPs. So it's fun. I love it. I mean, so I'm going to be, you know, completely transparent and honest here. Like being in the field for so many years, I lost other than like reading the ASHA leader that came in like the mail because it was like, mm -hmm. you know, collecting dust on my kitchen table. I lost sight of reading research articles after grad school because I was just so busy in the trenches. Of course. With life, with this, with that. Like there was no time in the day to be like, oh, I know I'm working on minimal pairs, but I'm not really sure why. Like what's the evidence again? Like there was no time for that. It was just more like, oh, I know the strategy works, so I'm going to just do it. Mm -hmm. And then when your site was brought to my attention 
maybe 2018, around that time was when it was brought to my attention. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. And now like, I, like I have found myself like binging on research articles. Like I would do like a Netflix, like I'm like, Ooh, what else can I find? Like boom, boom, boom. Cause it's so you can easily get those bits and pieces so quickly. And like, yeah. it's, like yeah. it's really binge worthy. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it feels good when you, when you can do it in a reasonable amount of time, because like staying up to date with the evidence for most people via our site takes like 30 to 45 minutes per month to kind of go through everything and it feels good, doesn't it? Like, it feels good for us. It's, it, it feels so nice to kind of know what's going on, like know what's out there consistently. And even just that validation, like, oh, what I've been doing, there's, there's evidence that, that I'm doing something right. Yes. 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 <laughs> like someone, someone's telling me that what I've been doing all this time is actually evidence-based. <laughs> yes. 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 I, I always say, I feel like for newbie clinicians, a lot of it's surprising to them. We're like, oh, I didn't know this. Oh, I didn't know that. But for experienced clinicians like you who like really know what you're doing, it'll be like 75% validation, 25% like, oh, I need to think about that too. So and I love it. And I love it. You, yeah. you guys find so many research articles that have have even like references, like the like, click here and you can get the whole list of words they used in that study. Mm-hmm. Or, and it was like, oh, not only did I get the research, I just got like stimuli. Like that's awesome. Yeah. Like, highly recommend it, everyone to check it out. That's not why we're all, you know, we have a lot more to talk about today, but I wanted to share how, why I love Meredith so much because she really truly understands the wants and needs of speech language pathologists that are in the trenches. Like we want to do the right things. We just don't have the time to be the best SLPs we can be all the time. So we rely on people like Meredith to do it for us. So, you know, we were talking before we hopped on this uh, podcast recording and we were saying, you know, about with everything going on in speech language pathology and COVID and going back to school and SLPs being thrown into teletherapy back in the spring and mm-hmm. not having adequate training and now the fear of doing it again. We're recording this a couple months before this recording is going to air. So that's my disclaimer here on that one, guys. But uh-huh. we want to talk about how we can still think positive and still realize that we are doing the right things for our students, even though it might not be the most optimal situations. Can you share like a little bit about your perspective on this? It's kind of funny actually, because back in March, when it started to be clear that SLPs were going to have to start maybe doing some teletherapy, there was one of our staff members who sent me an email and was like, you know, I think we might want to look at the research on telepractice because I just have a funny feeling a lot of SLPs are going to get pushed into it really soon. And I was, you know, kind of following the COVID stuff and everything Mm -hmm. because my husband does that type of research. And so I sort of had a little bit of a leg up on knowing what was about to happen before it happened, you know? And as soon as she sent me that email, I was like, Oh, holy moly, you're right. That's exactly what's going to happen. Like that. And and so we actually dove into it pretty quickly because um, we realized like we need to find all the information we possibly can for SLPs just so that they, you know, know what's out there. And, you know, the funny thing is there's not actually all that much telepractice research in speech language pathology, but the stuff that there is shows that for the most part, as long as you know how to do good therapy for whatever it is you're treating in terms of like a speech disorder, a language disorder or whatever, like usually it translates to telehealth in ways that would be predictable by SLPs. Like there's not a 
ton right now that's available, but there's also not a ton that you need from the research in order to be able to make this switch. It's more of a like just getting used to the change and the technology and everything, Mm -hmm. you know? So true. It's like, it's the same thing. Like if you go to work with like laryngitis, like you have no choice, you you make it work. You're going to still do the best job you can do without the voice. Like you have to just figure and change it and move things around and Mm -hmm. get creative. Yeah, I have been so incredibly like proud of my colleagues dealing with this. You know what I mean? Like I've seen <laughs> like I've seen so many SLPs that I just want to like squeeze them and give them a big fat hug because I can see how incredibly stressful and challenging it is, but watching our colleagues just kind of push through and make it work and realize that some days it's going to be messy and feel terrible, but at least they made it through the day and know that, you know, with like practice and everything, a lot of it's going to get better too, has been really nice. It's really cool to see how like resilient we are as professionals, you know? So true, so true. And I think that we all have that mindset back from like grad school, like, you know, this might be hard, but we have to push through and get that A and get done with yeah. that project. Like that, that, we, that was just ingrained in us from, that, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The make it work, just make it work. <laughs> so, some, so you know, you said that there's not much research for telehealth. Did you find that there was any research on other fields via tele? Like, because I know like doctors now are going yep. virtual and things. I'm curious if like you did any research on other fields in that area. Yeah, there's more in other fields, like especially medicine, but not allowed in like allied health or education, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, um, it's not like SLP is behind like PT or OT or mm-hmm. education, like it's light across all those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the like medical research kind of sort of applies to SLPs, not so much, but, you know, university faculty who are doing all this research have quickly had to switch to telepractice versions of their studies too. Mm -hmm. So I am predicting, (laughs) I'll I'll put my prediction down right now. I am predicting that about a year to a year and a half from now, we are going to get swamped with research on telepractice because Mm -hmm. all of these scientists are having to switch their like, you know, language studies to instead of in person, they're doing it via telepractice. So they've had to make the same change we are. So we'll get research on it soon. (laughs) I was thinking that too, that someone like gathered that like baseline data from the beginning, you know, right right when all the shutdown happened, like how is that Mm -hmm. child or group of, you know, people that they're using, how are they performing? And then over time, are they progressing or not? Like I can totally see so many, like definitely see that. Yep. We're going to get a bunch of it soon. (laughs) And I'm sure there's going to be even some research on like, doing therapy with a mask on versus <laughs> yeah I'm still I'm still like like trying to figure out the ba- best place to buy masks from so like like you said earlier it's summertime right now mm-hmm. and I know this is going to be airing like late summer early fall but dang if I still haven't found out a good place to like buy masks <laughs> like it's I, I'm just staying home like I'm just staying home <laughs> I, I went out for the first time like last week, two weeks ago. I went to Trader Joe's for the first time. Uh-huh. And I thought, honestly, my husband, I came home and my husband was laughing. He goes, you look so relaxed because <laughs> you went up by yourself. <laughs> I, go, I go, I just went up and down the aisles. I wasn't even, I was gone for maybe 30 minutes. Like I was like, he was like, you had a little bit of normalcy. Like I was like, I was so paranoid. My mask was going to fall off. Like how am I supposed to do this with going back to work? Like, yeah. Uh, Yeah. This morning I actually like showered and blow dried my hair and put on like a teensy tiny bit of makeup. And my husband said to me, he goes, wow, why did you get so, you know, 
dolled up today. And I was like, this is like 20% of what I would have been doing a year ago. You're just like, you've just gotten used to me, like abandoning all like, you know, normal. I feel so honored. You got, you blow dried your hair for me. I swear I did do my hair today, but I did work out. So right before this, (laughs) I was dressed and my hair done. I I did do that. I, because I did have to go out today. But. Yeah, I'm at a rate now of doing it about once every three weeks. About once every three weeks, I'll put a tiny bit of effort in just to make sure I don't forget how. <laughs> now, like the makeup and jewelry, on the other hand, that's pushing it a little bit. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what advice would you give like a new SLP or even a veteran SLP who's feeling a little overwhelmed about, you know, there isn't a lot of evidence so they can't really provide that for their administrator or what have you, where they're feeling a little concerned whether or not virtual therapy is the right move for their students. What advice would you give them? Yeah, well, the tough thing is, is because there's not tons of research. I mean, we could easily pull citations indicating that, you know, there is adequate research to proceed with telepractice and that we should feel comfortable and competent or, um, you know, comfortable in proceeding with it. But it's, there's not tons of stuff. And honestly, your clinical experience is going to help tell you what clients it's going to be appropriate Mm. for and which ones aren't anyway. Mm -hmm. It's going to be such an individualized decision. Like the thing that's in the best interest of our clients isn't going to be making, you know, broad decisions of everybody gets this version of whatever, Mm -hmm. but some amount of individualized decision-making is going to be what's in the best interest of our clients, which I know a lot of your bosses won't allow. You know what I mean? Like a lot of you will Mm -hmm. be in situations where they're making a bulk decision for everybody, Mm -hmm. no matter what, but you know, you all know your clients and what they need better than anything else. And so their biggest advocate as well. Yeah. And I know the other looming issue that, and I know you are another expert in this area, but like the ethics behind group therapy, virtual therapy, like there's, I know so many people have concerns like, okay, the privacy and Mm -hmm. viewing into homes. What if you see something like there's so many different concerns. Mm Mm-hmm. And the rules keep changing, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of exceptions are being made at a national level related to what we can and can't do purely because of the immediate need to be able to do, Mm -hmm. you know, telehealth. So yeah. That's tricky. And I, and I actually am not an expert in um, <laughs> staying, staying up with what is and isn't legal because mm-hmm. there's a big difference between like what the research says is, you know, ideal for children and everything. And then what is legal at both a state and national mm-hmm. level, as well as what's reimbursable. Like those are totally different animals. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And it doesn't help when, yes, we might not feel comfortable with putting, you know, groups of students together would have you on a session, but there's only so many hours in a day. And we yeah. were, and we were hired based on like the, the numbers and how many sessions we can possibly do. Like mm-hmm. we have to still like, you know, at three o'clock, close the laptop, you know, computer and be done. Like, yeah. So. You know, what's something that's kind of interesting speaking of like kids being, you know, together virtually or not or whatever. So we started doing, you know, telehealth research through the informed SLP in March. Um, but then once we got into April and May, we started also um, scouting COVID-19 research. And mm. so we basically shifted our manpower so that we could loop in all of that research as well, which it is just bananas, like us staying on top of the COVID research. 
that's one of the reasons I'm not bathing anymore or drying my hair, right? <laughs> <laughs> the volume of that. Um, Need but, waterproof uh, articles, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody needs to shower. I, I just, as long as I have my laptop and snacks, we're good to go. Um, but one of the really interesting things that we've um, started to find in the research that has kind of been revealed even more so over the last month or so is that kids really aren't COVID carriers. And so those of us who work with kids are actually much more protected in a sense than people who work with adults. Um, and that's kind of like new and emerging research. And I'm not, I'm not so sure why I'm, I, I quite honestly don't understand why popular news outlets haven't started to pick up on this yet. Um, like, cause usually they'll like CNN.com and stuff. They'll find these new research studies and they'll blow it up into all these headlines and everything. But I, am sorry, I did, I did see something and it wasn't like, a, it wasn't a formal research article, obviously. It was like one of those viral, you know, <laughs> articles, uh, news mm-hmm. stories, but it was about daycares in New York City that had to stay open um, throughout because for um, like uh, essential workers. Yes. And saying like they had minimal like cases this entire time. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, that's good to know that you're seeing it in the popular media too, because so far I'm, I'm mostly only seeing it in the research. Yeah. But basically it's not that kids aren't getting sick, which is also true, right? It's literally that kids aren't carrying the virus. Like you, they're being exposed, but they're somehow protected from it. And um, yeah, there's a bunch of data from other countries too, showing that people who work in daycares are Mm -hmm. some of the safest people because you have a small number of adults, a large number of kids. And so- um, Out of curiosity, are they, to what age have they, have they- Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. That's a very good question. (laughs) Because we have SLPs working with high schoolers. Yes. And high schoolers behave more, um, are more like adults. Ah. And so like they don't, there's not a good cutoff yet in the data, but the studies that I've read are using a cutoff at about age 14, basically modeling it as though kids under that age, you know, Mm -hmm. so like elementary and younger kids for sure just aren't COVID carriers. But once they start approaching adulthood, their bodies behave more similarly to adults and they're just as likely as adults to get sick, spread it, all that stuff, you know? So if anybody needs to be getting school from home <laughs> in this coming year, it's actually no. the older kids, you know, the older ones. Kids. and it's interesting because I was talking to my daughter's pediatrician today and they were saying that like, yeah, it's the older ones, that, the old ones will keep the mask on, you know, mm-hmm. for the most part. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay. So yeah, that's like, true. Because mm-hmm. my daughter had such a hard time keeping the mask on throughout the, <laughs> the doctor's appointment. It was too big on her. I'm like, how is she going to keep this on in school? Like, <laughs> like, like she's not wearing this in school. If they're opening, they're not wearing masks. Uh, yeah. You know, six years old. Yeah. So I definitely have to insert the disclaimer though, the like required disclaimer that this episode will air like at least, yes. you know, a month or two after. I'm going to know I, when, when, when you're listening to this, I'm pro- you can probably check on my Instagram and I'll be either cursing someone out or, or batch <laughs> buying more masks that might fit my daughter who's like petite face. Yes. So <laughs> one of the two is going to be happening. Like who's, who's watching my kids while I have to go to work or like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, but that information changes so quickly. And so it's like every single month it's like, Oh, now we're understanding it better Then one more month goes on. And it's like, Oh, now we're understanding it better. It's crazy how fast it's moving in terms of our, understanding of how the virus travels and what we need to do to prevent it. So it's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like it is like, and I'm also curious, like 
I'm sure we're also going to see some like research long-term effects of like all these kids being socially isolated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see my own daughters doesn't know how to interact anymore with people other than through a screen. Like, yeah, I, I remember having concerns about that, especially um, early on in the spring, like when my kids were like in their, you know, first couple months, like not being able to go to school and everything. But I think my son overheard a conversation between me and my husband about it, where I basically said, like, I feel like the kids are lonely. Like, I feel like they're lonely. You know what I mean? And it concerns me because then my son started whenever he wanted me to like give him more attention, he started saying, I feel lonely. I feel so lonely, you know? (laughs) Oh my God, that's so funny. So he's like, it's like a combination of true and him being like, oh, I really know how to, you know, pull on mom's heartstrings. If I say I'm lonely, she's going to feel really bad for me and do whatever I want. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But I can see us as SLPs like heading back in the fall, seeing kids who have not been around other kids. And mm-hmm. we need to keep that in mind. Like, let's not jump so quickly into goal, right? <laughs> like, like attacking goals. We might need to remind kids how to like interact with each other, how to sit in a desk at a therapy table. Like they haven't done this in months. A long like, time, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's going to be more just about like the mental health and getting back to knowing, yeah, getting back to knowing how to be with each other and the social stuff, which in some ways is kind of like, I feel like as SLPs, it can be kind of calming to like know that it's okay to be with your clients and work on kind of transition skills Mm -hmm. before you're like, oh, we need to, you know, (laughs) we need to start attacking morphology because I haven't seen this kid enough, you know, recently. And if Mm -hmm. my goodness, if we don't get these goals, you know, like there's, there's going to be some amount of like it being the most important thing to give both the kids and ourselves grace when it comes to just readjusting. Totally. And it's okay. You don't have to jump into collecting that data towards that annual goal. Like Mm -mm. you're not going to get the results if you don't spend time on readjusting, building that routine, building that rapport, teaching them how to behave in a therapy room again. They forgot. Even if they were doing group speech therapy, it's still different when a kid's sitting right next to you. Yeah. Yeah. That readiness to learn is going to have to come first. Mm -hmm. Even if if a kid sneezes in the middle of your speech room and like, you know, have the kids go, oh my God, it's COVID. Like we can't, we got to teach our kids like what are the appropriate ways to behave in all these different social situations. Like mm-hmm. it's not just our typical pragmatic students that we need to be teaching this anymore. It's going to be everyone. Yeah. Some of the things coming out of these kids' mouths, it's it's both hilarious and disturbing all at the same time. Like we went to, my kids and I went to McDonald's the other day and I put the McDonald's bag like in the back seat and was like, you know, don't open it yet. We'll open it when we get home or whatever. And my son's like, I'm not going to open it anyway, because there's probably coronavirus on that bag. And I'm like, oh my gosh, stop, stop. <laughs> like, like it's like, uh. everyone, everyone's super paranoid. Like it's yeah. just overall, like everyone, it's, it's going to be a huge adjustment. Like, mm-hmm. like if you're going to have to teach our kids like that, think versus say, like, uh-huh. you know, yes, just cause you know, Johnny or student a, put their hands near your seat. Like I will wipe it down. Don't worry. Just give me that look like a wink or pull on your ear and I will clean up that seat for you. Like let's Mm -hmm. not, let's not call that student out on like touching your space. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) That could be justification for uh, asking for more time in between sessions so we can wipe some stuff down, you know, just (laughs) right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, the good news is, is even as things, you know, like kind of go back and forth throughout the fall in terms of like what type of service that we're providing and stuff like that, because there could be some of that for a lot of folks, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, the good news is, is we've already demonstrated that we know how to deal with it either way, you know, like whether you prefer the teletherapy versions or the in therapy, you know, in-person versions, like we know how to do both now, like we can handle this. this. Yeah, totally. So, so true. Thank you so much. This was like, I hope everyone listening is like, okay, this was just so inspiring and like just refreshing to hear that like, things are going to be okay. We're, we're all in this together and whatever is happening, you know, you're going to see on Instagram and social media that everyone's hand, having to deal with things differently based on their state, county, district, what mm-hmm. have you. But when, no matter mm-hmm. what the situation, your students are lucky to have you. Yeah. And we're lucky to have each other too, you know, as SLP colleagues, like between Hallie and I, if anybody who's listening, you know, needs, (laughs) needs help finding resources or people or like people in your state that you can, you know, talk to or consult with, like that's how Hallie and I met is through social media. And so we have a pretty good lockdown on knowing like where you can find people that can, you know, give you help and connect with. So exactly, exactly. And if you need any piece of evidence to show a supervisor, a superintendent, a parent, if a parent is concerned saying, you know, my child deserves more, whatever, be like, this is the evidence. Evidence, one, you can get evidence from Meredith about COVID in children. Evidence number two, that there is evidence that teletherapy can benefit. Evidence number three, as long as you're doing any type of therapy, your student is benefiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and you can find all that stuff on our site or how else can people find and learn more about you? Just go to www.theinformedslp.com and it'll link you out to all the places where we have resources. And you're on Instagram? Yep, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yep, everywhere. Awesome. Do you have like a favorite quote or a favorite piece of advice that you like to give people? Hmm. I didn't mean to call you out on that. I was just- No, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, you know, you have something. My favorite thing that- I can, you know, help people find as they're trying to, you know, figure out how to make more contact with our fields research and evidence and everything is to tap into that kind of like joyful curiosity that they had when they were a first year graduate student and just starting to learn about everything. Like, remember that sense of excitement, like, oh my gosh, I'm about to learn all the things, like all the things are about to be, you know, dumped into my brain as much as you can kind of like tap into that a little bit as an advanced SLP as well as you progress through your career, I think finding spaces for that kind of like joyful curiosity about our field will kind of keep you going. So that's always like the place I try to come from is joyful curiosity. I love it. Thank you so much, Meredith. You're welcome. It was great talking to you. Talk to you more soon. Yes. So there you have it. There was another awesome episode and an awesome guest on my podcast. I always love to bring you new and inspiring people that I know you should learn about if you don't already because they have changed the way I do speech therapy and helped me be the best SLP that I can be. And I hope after this episode, you are feeling a little bit more inspired, motivated, and ready to take on the world so of SLP, of speech-language pathology. So let's end this episode with a joke. What do you get when you throw a million books into the ocean? A tidal wave. I felt it was appropriate, you know, having Meredith informed SLP, research articles, had to do something books and something related to learning. 
<laughs> All right, everyone, I will see you next week. Have a great week and stay out of trouble. Are you looking for more practical and relevant professional development from someone actually in the trenches? Are you sick and tired of sitting through pointless workshops and conferences not relevant to you as a speech language pathologist? Make sure you check out Speech Time Fun PD, short mini courses filled with practical ideas you can actually use right away. Each mini course comes with free bonus Teachers Pay Teachers resources so that you can use these ideas and activities right away without needing to prep anything new. Enroll today at speechtimefun.com slash courses. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.